Policy Talks. I'm Shada and we are here with Philippe Froud. Um, so Philippe is a lecturer at the Department of Politics at the University of York in the UK. His research is on the transnational governance of security in West Africa's uh, Sahel region with a particular focus on irregular migration and border control. And he has worked on border policing practices in Senegal and Mauritania. So thank you very much for joining us Thank today. you very much. Good to be here. So to begin, um, you talk about the paradox of the IOM's approach whereby it pursues strategies um, of both humanitarianism and security uh, like at, at once. Yeah. And uh, in addressing border management mm -hmm. um, within um, certain nations in the Sahel. And do you find that this intertwining approach is, is that most effective? Is it, do the both uh, support each other or is it more of kind of a clueless paradox? Yeah, so that's an interesting, interesting question about this kind of linkage of security and development and how they actually work with each other. Are they mixing? Are they complementing mm -hmm. each other? Um, one of the things that's quite striking about this kind of combination of security and development is that we can see it on one side as being kind of quite cynical, but we could say, well, you know, the IOM is using the language of development to justify security practices that are aimed fundamentally at stopping migration. Yeah. So that's kind of one side, and there's some element of truth to that, but it's not the whole story. So on the other side of things, we could say that actually the developmental approach and the kinds of things that we would associate with the development industry actually make for slightly more effective uh, interventions to some degree. So what are the kinds of things you would associate with development? Uh, one of them might be things like stakeholder workshops. So we would say, well, the developmentalization of security includes these kinds of practices that bring new, for example, NGOs into the mix in terms of determining things like uh, national migration strategies or approaches to uh, migrant reintegration and that kind of thing. So uh, there are two sides to this question of how security and development actually intertwine. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, just touching on a conversation we had previously with Kelsey Norman, um, yeah. some of her research kind of found that sometimes states will take the opportunity of accepting refugees uh, to uh, build their state, essentially. Mm -hmm. So do you find that this is the same case where, where states would say, oh, we have a terrorist threat, um, mm -hmm. we need support, but really the support is more to build the state rather than to actually protect against uh, a real threat. Right, yeah, so that's quite prominent, certainly in the region that I've studied in the Sahel. Uh, the threat of terrorism is kind of ever-present in the background of not just kind of what local policymakers and local security actors are thinking, but also it's a kind of ever-present way of thinking about the region externally. So certainly many of the countries in the Sahel are former French colonies, and France is obviously heavily involved in Mali, for example, militarily, but also politically and diplomatically. Uh, so this kind of common agreement on the generalized security threat from terrorism in a generic sense is very, very powerful. Uh, to some degree, that is enables some kinds of strategies on the parts of states, I mean, like Mauritania, Niger, Mali, to buttress their kind of security agencies, which is quite uh, normal given the kind of incentive structure that exists. Um, so that's certainly uh, one of the ways that this gets used. Uh, on the other side, the, the threat is quite real in many respects. So uh, it's, it's not entirely necessarily a cynical ploy, but it is, a, uh, it is kind of dependent on the kinds of relationships that are pre-existing between European states and African partners around security. And then moving over to kind of more of a broad question. Okay. Um, what role do you think organizations should play in managing mm -hmm. migration with border security? 
Right. Um, one of the crucial roles that um, organizations, especially like the IOM, but also UNHCR and ILO and others play is in helping to improve capacity. Now, I'm quite critical of the claims that many of these organizations make about capacity building, especially in the security field, but they are in some ways kind of successful on their own terms in trying to uh, provide equipment and training for uh, the kinds of practices that um, that many states in the Sahel are, are particularly uh, keen to do. So there is a role for international organizations there in, in, in ensuring some kind of uh, coordinated international action. And that's especially important in the face of the fact that uh, bilateral actions often duplicate each other. So you'll often find uh, in a country like Mauritania, for example, uh, you have a very strong French presence, but also uh, Spanish security cooperation, and then you have growing security cooperation, especially on the military side of the United States. And so you have all these different approaches to how to control the border, uh, how to approach questions of security threat and irregular migration. And actually, international organizations can play a role. I'm not saying they necessarily always do in the case, but they can play a role in terms of coordinating those different and sometimes competing international, well, national approaches. Is there ever a danger, though, of having these primarily Western organizations be mm -hmm. so involved in yeah. kind of in these former colonized mm -hmm. nations? Right. I mean, that's one of the fundamental kind of starting points to keep in mind is that, as I mentioned earlier, many of these countries in the Sahel especially are former French colonies. And so France is already in a quite dominant position in terms of the security relationships that it has with many of these states. Um, kind of fast forwarding a bit from there, what we do see is that many of these practices of international intervention around what we could call kind of softer kinds of security threats, things like mm -hmm. irregular migration, uh, what they do is create a quite um, strong incentive structure around the financial inducements that go along with these projects. So you may have a few million euros here and there for uh, devising a national migration strategy or for donations of equipment or for training and so what this creates in some respects is some kind of expectation on the part of recipient states that these kinds of forms of aid whether or not they're very effective or not will, will continue and so what that does is although some good does come of these things you know some of that equipment is useful some of it is not uh, what it does create is a particular type of relationship uh, yeah. that is not necessarily uh, healthy necessarily yeah would you say that it might not be a sustainable relationship or would there need to be more measures to make sure that the countries are more self-reliant mm. that's certainly something that comes up in terms of when you ask people for example in the IOM in a country like Niger or wherever uh, when you ask them well what's your end goal and, mm -hmm. and many of them will give you a variation of the same answer, which is that our end goal is to not have to be here. Yeah. Right? So our end goal is to ensure that this country is able to carry out tasks around border management in a way that we think is internationally appropriate, but on their own. And so uh, that's some of the stuff that I sort of touched on in my presentation a bit earlier about things like the um, entry-exit computerized uh, immigration systems that the IOM produces, which are very, very cheap, which are about you know, $50 a month to run. Uh, part of the idea behind that is precisely to minimize the kinds of financial ob obstructions and increase the financial incentives for states to actually carry on doing these internationally recognized mm -hmm. border management practices. And finally, just looking at um, the question of <clears throat> agencies, you did talk about it a little bit previously mm -hmm. in, in your uh, 
in your quest in your answer. <laughs> but um, how do you see different agencies and uh, operating and interacting within with border security in different countries? And which would you say might be the most kind of a model uh, that, that mm -hmm. other countries should should focus on and should should follow? The question of models is, is super interesting because uh, whenever you take a look at many of these organizations, I mean the IOM is just one of them, but you also have national approaches, especially by European countries uh, in Africa around migration and border security, the question of models always comes up because when these people talk about, and like these international interveners talk about uh, global best practices around border management, or what are international standards, all of these things come from somewhere. And so many of the, many of the times, uh, it's often when it's France or Spain, it's a very kind of EU border driven approach of having you know, civilian kind of border control. It's very based on the European experience around Schengen, uh, around having information systems. So a lot of that is the kind of model that is assumed by international intervention. Um, in terms of models and countries that might consider themselves models, uh, Mauritania is actually one of them that frequently comes up as a kind of model of how to do border security effectively. Uh, they themselves will tell you, well, we control our borders in such a way that we have sort of hermetically sealed them. We have 45 exclusive points of entry, we have a militarized zone, we have very, very uh, intensive intelligence, and we don't do things the way they do in, in other countries, which will, which will remain nameless, but where the central government has much less kind of control over the periphery of the state. And so the Mauritanian example is, in their own eyes, uh, a very powerful one, but it's also one that's wielded by interveners in the local context, where in a country like Senegal, for example, you will find international interveners say, here is some best practice from Mauritania that you might want to think about uh, following in your own country. And so these models are not just from the global north, but also actually circulate within the south as well. Well, I think that's, yeah, okay, that's all the time okay. that we have left, but no thank problem. you so much. Um, no it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me.